welcome to episode 7 of Battlecast, and we're going to continue on uh, directly where we left off way back in June. Sorry about that, listeners. We, I know it's way back in June, and um, it's just been super busy. It's just been crazy hectic, and I said, I said, at the start of this, I can only do these podcasts as and when I can, and it was just, it was just a bit of a mission trying to get every, every, everyone kind of together a little bit as well for this one, because we, we were, we're joined by uh, John Atkin, and of course, we have Scott Knightlick, Toy Guru himself, back on the show, joining us to speak for part two of his interview. How are you doing, Scott? I'm here. He's here. Yes. Yay! I'm good. And I've got my cohort one, Johnny John Atkins, who does hey, love everyone. who does love Rush. <laughs> who's the world's biggest Rush fan? He has joined us today. Uh, and, yes. And I have been joined by a lovely cup of tea by my lovely assistant Ali. She's, she's today. You're my lovely assistant. Okay, uh, so what we're going to do today, and our listeners, is uh, going to going to crack on with Scott's interview on the classics discussion. We're going to get this done, and then another couple of weeks, I will get a, a podcast done with with, with, the, with the lads as well. Uh, everyone's busy. Emiliano's dealing with a bit a bit of a bit of a situation at home unexpectedly. He was supposed to be joining us this morning, uh, a bit too early for Matt. And Josh is, of course, a pharmacist, and he's. Up, up the walls, as you can imagine, with his work and stuff at the moment. So we will be back with a kind of a normal schedule. We'll be talking uh, uh, origins. Speaking of origins, actually, have you gotten any origins in, Scott? Uh, I have seen He-Man and Skeletor. You've got um, and that is it. That that is it. It's guys. I'm actually getting a Beastman delivery this morning. So if the buzzer goes during the time, I'll actually have my Beastman discovered and stuff like that. But yeah, they're starting to trickle in now. Everyone seems to. It's 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 really exciting seeing. All the toy shelves filled with 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 massive universe figures again, you know. I I I I I just love seeing, and everyone's like on the Facebook groups and everything, posting their purchases, and everyone's just like loving. It. And it's 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 just good because, but it, it, it seems to be quite a random release. And obviously, it's this is COVID is obviously interfering with things and stuff like that. But it's like. Amazon are like they're they're in stock. They're not in stock. It's going to deliver today. It's not delivered today. It seems to be all over the place. How how is it for you in Canada, John? Well, uh, funny enough, so I went hunting for them last week because uh, they started selling them in Canada. And uh, when I got to Walmart, they were all sold out. Oh. Uh, there was just empty pegs saying out of stock. And uh, I checked out three Walmarts in Toronto area, and each one, they were all sold out. Well, there you go. Well, that's good, isn't it? I mean, that, 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 that's good. I mean, I, what, what... I guess it's good. You know, I know there's fans out there who love the chase. Mm. Um Remember when in the 2000X days, people would talk about that. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely hate the chase. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the chase. I, I'm all about the uh, the subscription plans, like yeah. what Scott had in the day. You know, that's that's the way to do it for adult collectors. But is what it is. It is, but I think I think the origins is obviously is it is aimed at the, at the kids as well. It is it's the whole promotional. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it as well, Scott. Like at Amazon and everything. Like the whole promotional thing is father men who are now our age who are now dads playing with their young kids and introducing them to the world of he-man and i think that's one of the big angles which is an angle i quite like to be honest you know it's, it, yeah it's an angle but honestly is is it working because like who are the people that are buying the toys you know, I, 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 well put yeah it's a, it is an angle <laughs> <laughs> But the, but it's got such a lovely photograph of his dad playing with a little kid, you know. And they're really having fun, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I, I do I do see a lot of like I see like my friend Ken Coleman. Hey Ken, uh, he's he's plays his kids uh, are playing with him like crazy as well. I mean I, I think it's nice. It's a nice idea anyway. But yeah, it is a yeah. adult collectors, and I really do hope all those scalpers who are snapping them all up just can eat dirt now because it's just you know it's just it was so funny seeing them on eBay like for sixty bucks and stuff. I'm like, could you get the hell out of here? 
patience, yo. They admit, admit, tell me they're very clear that they're making a ton of these figures, a ton of them. So and they're gonna and they're gonna remake them as well. So they're gonna put the key characters back into circulation again, kind of a thing. But um. But, good, yeah. but we're not here to talk about Origins. We're going to talk about Origins next week with the boys. We all have a bit more of them and stuff like that. We're going to get back onto classics now, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, where we left off last time, uh, we were on about, like, uh, Scott was... I just had a quick quick listen again. And we were on about you getting one, one of the things that, uh, you know, getting certain figures out early and peppering in... So, like, the first few waves, like, you peppered in, you got a Hordak in, you got Hero in, you got some of the rarer characters, and you know, like, like uh, Eric, Eric Treadaway, he wanted to get Clawful in. So, some of the characters, because, obviously, Classics came kind of hot on the heels of 2000X, and that finishing up, and the, the, the misery and, 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 and suicidal tendencies that that all caused us. And, and then when we got, because well, we were dying for, for the Hordak, we were dying for the Clawfuls and stuff like that, so it was really great to get characters like Clawful and Hordak in, in within the first, first few um within the first few waves of the classics. So can you, can you t- talk to us a little bit more about that, Scott? Yeah. And I mean, you know, that was obviously deliberate. And yeah. I, I think part of, part of it was every figure that came out for a while, I thought was going to be our last figure. Right. Um, right. You know, when we did King Skull, I remember getting, I would call it an early sample, but I mean, you know, the, the, the samples that come into Mattel just a few weeks or you know a month or so before the show. Mm. And bringing it home and having it on my shelf and just being like, wow, I made a He-Man toy. This is amazing. Like, I thought this was basically the only He-Man toy I was ever going to make. And it was just a life dream and like check that off the bucket list because, you know, I had made a He-Man toy. I had no idea that we were eventually going to make, you know, does anyone have a final count? Are we up to like 300 figures? I I, got to get like a, I mean, I know like variants. How do you go with that? But. I mean, there's definitely well over 200, not to mention play sets and vehicles and semi-automatic rifles and all the stuff that kids love. And, I mean, you're doing the, uh, you know, characters right out the bat, not only the main characters. Well, one, that was because of the tooling, because just like in the 80s, Classics was based on the whole shared parts concept with the basic bucks, the human buck, the reptile buck, and the, and the beastie buck, which made, like, Beast Man. Boss Man. Grados uh, and gave Zodak his... Uh, oh, his hairy yes, chest. Mo- his I was thinking Zodak chest. his chest. Yeah. Yes. Zodak, Zodak's hairy chest. That's, like, a great name for a book. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as you mentioned about with 2000X ending, I was a huge fan of 2000X, both the show and the toy line, and yeah, much like you guys, I was also, you know, suicidal over an ending. And not really, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh <laughs> I was a bummer, no, it was a total bummer because it's, it was it was it was, it was really it, it seemed to have finally by the time it was ending, it seemed to have kind of both the cartoon and the comics and everything seemed to have found their footing and seemed to have like oh people were finally discovering because I, I obviously the Cartoon Network kind of messed around with the, with the airing of the show and things like that that didn't help and things and they put it in a weird slot as well so that didn't help and things but what 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 do you what do you think happened there Scott with, with all that? Funny you should ask. I actually just did a video about that that's going up live today. On there September you go on the Spectre Creative Channel in about forty five minutes. Cool. Um, so check, I check love the whole. Check that yeah, out. That's that's on you. That's on that'll be on YouTube now, folks. So that'll be so at Spectre Creative. Just on you. Just search for Spectre Creative on YouTube, and you'll find that. Yep. Cool. But I mean, but basically, because this podcast will be airing after that has already premiered, I'll spill the beans. And basically, mm. I mean, yeah, it, 
2000X was a combination of three things. It was Cartoon Network not giving it a time slot. Mm. It was the brand team at Mattel relying too heavily on He-Man variants, yeah. treating the line, yeah. if you will, yeah. like... They, they basically... The people running it didn't really have a deep, deep emotional connection to the brand, and they were looking at it more... I'm not saying they didn't care about it, but their viewpoint on it was off in the sense that they were looking at it as a Batman line. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, Batman gets... Tons of colorful variants. You got Arctic Batman. Did he was? My God. <laughs> so yeah, they they basically treated the line like that. Versus if you look at something like classics, sure we did variants of He Man, but they were you know spread out and they were legit. You know they were you know variants that I think fans wanted. And so you so basically it was a combination of that. And, you know, not being able to get the secondary characters, too many He-Men, bad timing. And then the biggest thing was, and I, I talked about this in the video, kids were really put off from to the 2000X show and toys because He-Man was naked. Mm. They basically saw this guy in furry shorts and were like, what is this? Why is this guy running around like Tarzan? And one of the images I actually have in the video that I think drives the point home is I show uh, like kind of movie heroes of the 80s. You've got, you know, Stallone and, yeah, yeah. and Arnold and Bruce Willis and, you know, uh, you know Jean-Claude Van Damme, even Dolph, mm-hmm. all these guys made of muscle. And compare that today, your superhero or, your you know, your heroes are Iron Man and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Yeah. You know, regular, more all... regular looking dudes. Less roidy. Yeah, and they're basically more or less skinny and in mm. wearing suits when yeah. they're, you know, more or less. So th- the whole loincloth thing worked because it was like a moment in time yeah. in the 80s. Yeah, agreed. Was, yeah, yeah it, was, it was just sort of like, you know, it, it was... It like was the flavor of the day, really. That Sword and sorcery, dudes running around bare-chested and furry shorts was everywhere around, around you know, what, what was everywhere in the 80s. That was that was a thing. There was, like, m- mullet... M- Many, many, many really bad sword and sorcery movies with great artwork on the covers, which made you rent them, of course. You know, it, it was just oh it, was, it, was, it was the flavor of the day, wasn't it? When you Beastmaster, the Barbarian Queens, and the Deathstalker yeah. movies, all of them. I, when I was a kid in the video store, I would see these these video boxes with yeah, yeah the beautiful artwork of scantily clad women and yes. you know in in furry bikinis, and just be like, oh my god, I want to see this movie. And then you watch it, and they're terrible. Ator, Warrior of the Future. Iron Master. Oh, the list goes on, man. I have seen most of them, and they are brutal. The only one that, in my opinion, holds up is Hercules, which I watched last weekend for my birthday, which was amazing, by the way. That's Lou Ferrigno's Hercules, by the way. If you want to see a movie that's as close as you're going to get to He-Man, you watch Hercules, Lou Ferrigno. It's awful, don't get me wrong. It's the worst movie you're ever going to see. But there's a love and affection put into this movie, and it's got some of the most amazing dialogue you've ever heard. It's brilliant and the girls in her lovely as well and Lou is amazing in it it's I, I highly I cannot recommend people watch the Lou Frigner Hercules movie the first one not the second one there's two of them but everyone just it's the one where he chucks the bear into space and if you are not sold by him chucking a bear into space 
nothing will sell you on this movie. You you had me at Chuck Bingo in the space. It's, yes. It just you gotta watch it. Seriously, it is. As a boy, I could not get enough of this movie because to me it was He Man. He he did the mighty big feats. He lifted big things. You no, know, he separated continents for crying out loud. Did you know Hercules separated Africa from Spain? Yeah, he did that in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he did that. And now, now yeah. that Hercules movie was that was that eighty three, eighty four? Yes, came out? yes, yes. That's the one that Canon managed to get MGM to release in the theater, and it. It is not a movie that should not have ended up in the theater. <laughs> it is not a quality enough to be in the theater. Pro Lou Ferrigno went to the premiere of it, not realizing he was dubbed. <laughs> the poor guy. Oh, <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, I digress. Uh, we, uh, the, fl- the flavor day was, and I guess that's what we got the snake armor He-Man then, wasn't it? Which I guess was maybe a little bit too little too late, maybe? Do you think, Scott? You, you've already seen my video, haven't you? No. You, you went forward in time, and... Um, <laughs> Yes, and that's why they call it the Pillar of Hercules, but that's not important right now. <laughs> so, yeah, that basically, yeah, Snake Armor He-Man was was literally, that came out of focus groups. They were wondering, why is the toy line not selling? Why is the show not getting the ratings we want? And the, you know, the, the top-line comment, and I wasn't at Mattel at the time, um, but the top-line comment that was coming back that I was told was, uh, you know, just in casual conversations with people, that, yeah, it was the fuzzy shorts, so they purposely redesigned He-Man into the snake armor mm-hmm. to try to give him more of an armored look and you notice he doesn't have fuzzy shorts in that armor yeah. and uh, but it was it was just too little too late you, you, yeah. a thing I kind of end the video with is basically saying that you really only get one shot mm. and that's kind of where Origins is too is that if, if a line doesn't work at retail retail is very reluctant to give you a year or two yeah. They're not going to put up with bad sales and be like, okay, well, we trust you that you fixed it and you can now guarantee us good sales. There, there's just so many people competing for that retail space. Mm-hmm. And if you if it doesn't hit like gold in year one, you, you know, good luck, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do love the snake armor, and I thought it was a – I think for Ruben a lot – Ruben that, by the way. Hmm? Ruben Martinez, who worked on classics at the end. Oh, right. He, he was at Mattel during the 2000X era, and he cr- designed Snake Armor He-Man. Oh, very cool. It's a, it's, it's, it's a nice design because it has he, – He-Man is always good when he harkens back to either a, a Viking or a barbarian. But in this case, he kind of harkens back to a bit more of a gladiator, which is – he has a gladiatory look. Even though, it's, it, even though it is more high fantasy, Final Fantasy-esque, it was the flavor of the big shoulder pads, big swords, was the flavor of the day in, around that era, wasn't it? And He-Man definitely needed to be kind of updated into that – it's what's – it's what kids like because at the time you know Dragon Ball Z and all the anime it was really kicking out the big stuff and and, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that's that's why He-Man ended up kind of looking the way they did did, did, did did you speak to Ruben what was his what was his thinking behind the snake I mean was he going down the gladiatorial route or was it just kind of more I'm going to go down the kind of Final Fantasy anime type thing you know I mean I did talk to him about it but the conversation I think was much it was much more because he was on the classics line when we were doing Snake Armor He-Man in classics. Oh. And oh, yeah. It, it was more him going like is an offside, hey, you know, I actually designed this armor back in the day. And I was oh. like, really? That's crazy. Now you're doing the classics version of the figure. Sweet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we love oh. love the classics version. So yeah, that's that that, that anyway. That that's 2002. So um, where where are we now? Now, uh, one of the big big things I kind of wanted to say now. At what stage? Sure, I would imagine then. Once the figures, you because you, you were saying that like, every figure you thought was going to be the last figure, but then somewhere along the line. 
it's like, okay, I can do a battle cat now. And and then somewhere down along the line further than that, then you got, I'll do a wind raider. And then, oh my God, you know, we, 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 we got a battle ram. And, 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 then, and then, oh my God, we're getting Castle Grayskull? Oh no, but did we get Castle Grayskull first or we get a battle ram? Um, Wind Raider. Wind Raider. Then Castle Grey Skull. Then, then Battle. Then, then Battle. But Battle Cat was the first, like, in my opinion, the first, like, oh wow, okay, we're not just going to get a couple of figures here. We're getting, look, we're getting Battle Cat, and I have got Battle Cat in front of me for reasons. And uh, Classics Battle Cat, and it's 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 stunning. I mean, it is a stunning toy. Is Classics Battle Cat, and you could see the prices of this thing now has gone through the roof. So, but can you tell us a little bit about the inception of Battle Cat? I, I, what, what, what was it that got the go-ahead, and what was the kind of catalyst that kind of got that going? If I recall, I mean, it was really basically just that we were now. Na- I mean, Battle Cat didn't come till I want to say was it year three or very late. Because yeah, what year two is two thousand ten, but Battle Cat was two thousand eleven, mm, I mm, think. Yeah. Um, no, it was earlier. Because I did, either either way, um, the, we were basically sale. Once we really, you know, kind of hit that subscription model, I think Scareglow was the first figure we did with a subscription, mm. and then you know we we got a, we we managed to hit our the the subscription year that started with Adora. So I guess that was year two. We didn't have to beg for subs. Like we just hit our, uh, our our minimum order quantity right out the bat, and it was like, all right, game on. We can add stuff. Right. Like, okay. Great. You know, we, like enough people are supporting this line. That if you, yeah, I, I've meant I have mentioned this a few in some podcasts and on my Spectre Creative YouTube channel a few times that it's all about the MOQ, which stands for minimum order quantity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which which is what a, a vendor, uh, you know, uh, the actual factory isn't going to produce something unless you can hit that or if you're going to produce something lower than that they're going to charge you a premium which then they're going to you know the, that gets passed off to the customer which is why Motu Classics was more expensive than say a DC Universe Classics figure which retail which had a much much higher run because you had it was yeah. you know at retail buying it mm-hmm. yeah so basically Battle Cat was the logical choice to do first uh, plus we knew we could get at least Panthor out of him yeah exactly you know, I mean, it was great that once we started getting like you know the Griffin and and Battle, Battle Lion. Lion. And... Oh, I love Battle Lion and the Griffins. Oh, I love the Griffins. I mean, that was just gravy. Um, you know, I mean, by then we were. I mean, it was just again like I never expected the line to take off the way it did. It was definitely well above my expectations. Mm. Um, and it was the whole idea was you know just to just keep riding the wave and. Yeah. As long as fans were supporting the line and we were hitting our numbers, you know, the idea was to grow it to the point that we weren't putting out too much stuff too quickly, mm. that we, you know, we, we we were able to save stuff to ensure each year had what I would call like a robust offering. Mm. Uh, I remember particularly when we brought Ram Man to management for approval. We had to bring every single slot to management in a process that was called Senior Core at Mattel. It's basically every brand from Hot Wheels to Barbie to whatever, you know, go you sign up and you go in and you present to management, you get approval or go back and think about this or go back and fix this, you mm-hmm. know, type of approval. Yeah. And I remember when we brought Ram Man and the the head of design goes, "You haven't done Ram Man yet?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No, that was deliberate because this way we had him to anchor, I think it was like 2013 or whatever that year was." 
Uh, plus, he was fully tooled, but you know, it was great to see that like at least someone in management was paying attention to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. What was it? What, what was it then? The subscription then was that the, what cemented it all for you with 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 with, the, with your superiors and stuff like that to make okay we we can go keep going. What was it? Was that was that the kind of holding device, if you will? Was the, was the subscription the kind of the thing that kind of kept kept it together and solidified it? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, and I it was basically because the subscription guaranteed sales. Yeah. So it didn't matter who like we could have anybody more or less. And we knew we would sell the subscription amount plus or minus some day of sales. And really, and I, you know, I've, I've mentioned this a few times, but in the toy industry, the way it works for a retail line, and I'll use DC Universe Classics as an example, which is the six inch DC line I ran or managed, was you would show the first wave, like the first six figures, however many were on a wave, to retail. And this represented a year of retail ordering. They knew that how many waves they were going to get. They knew how many slots, but they had no idea which figures, let alone, I mean, retail could care less. They trusted that we knew what we were doing. Yeah. They weren't like fans what, you know, who want to know those details, but that's not important right now. So we would show retail, you know, wave, whatever, wave seven, and this represented a year's worth of waves, and then we would get a year's worth of orders from everyone, from Toys R Us to Entertainment Earth to you know, Amazon, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the subscription model was basically just taking the established toy production schedule and just asking fans to play the role of retail. In other words, we're going to show fans the first six figures yeah. and ask them to commit to a year. So Mattel was very, like, it made sense within the Mattel system, mm. if you will. Yeah, yeah. We were yeah. replicating a working sales system we were just shifting it over to the directly to the consumer to take the burden that retail previously did and you know of course you know fans want to know every detail whereas retailers are like yeah just tell me how many units and how many waves so that's really yeah once we basically were able to mimic an existing established sales system then you know it was like, all right, let's do this. Let's make cats and castles and cars. Yes, I mean, I I I remember at the times so I mean we had there was obviously a few detractors. So like, you know, you always get those type of fans. Some fans just really annoy me. I'm getting very tired of fans lately. But I remember at the time, like, um, I know some people were like a bit moaning, but like, oh, why am I paying for a subscription? I don't know what's coming and stuff like that. But for for me, by that stage. Uh, because the subscription didn't come until like for about a two about a year or two in. Because I remember there was mad panics, and then we were freaking out with the first Merman. And none of us get Mer. Oh, it's just all right, Palava. And the subscription came and kind of kind of settled everyone down because everyone knew who do were getting. But I think one of the reasons why we we were able to take that leap of faith is because the quality had been established. That these were top-notch quality. You know what I mean? It, 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 right out, right out the gate, the, these figures were of a of, of a superior standard. I mean, there's a few little few little bumps in the road, a little bit maybe here here and there and stuff like that. But like the He-Man had strange little eyeshadow above him and things like that. And, and the second wave, he kind of that kind of got corrected. And like that. There was a few one or two little bumps, a little things like that. But the bottom line is, the, these figures came out and you, they were of a notably higher quality than most other action figures out there. So I think that that was, and I think I think once once Tila came and she was. She was. She was. When did she come? She was like the fourth or fifth she, wave. She was. I uh, October, October, or November. Well, let's see. Scareglow was supposed to be November, and then he got bumped. Yeah. 
either way, yeah, she she wasn't that far off. I think I think I think the Tila was the one that figures out like, oh my god, this 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 line is meaning, and I still look at that Tila today, and she's it's just mwah, it's a pristine figure. Most of them still are pristine. Ninety nine percent of them are, in my opinion, still absolutely pristine figures. There's one or two little bump bump bumps here and there, but. Across the board, they are, these are the highest quality figures. Anyway, I, I keep on interrupting and stuff like that. So, uh, once the subscription hit, then you were you were able to then go off and get things like like Battle Cat and and stuff like that made. Was there any kind of um, hiccups with Battle Cat or anything? Because I mean, he is he is oh, an excellent. Well, actually, actually, with Battle Cat, I don't think Battle Cat was part of the subscription plan, was he? I think uh, he was released before the subscription. Was he? Yeah, because I remember. Uh, a lot of people trying hard to get him uh, the day of the sale and having difficulty. I know I was one of them too. Um, I got him, but uh, it, it was uh, it, it was pretty difficult that first day because everybody wanted him because he looked uh, fantastic. So I think Battle Cat was just before the subscription plan. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think what happened is we'd already sold in the subscription and we told fans, you know, you'll be getting twelve figures, if yeah. you will. Hmm. So when we added <laughs> Battle Cat. It was yeah. It was basically yes. It was like in, it was it was in addition. We didn't start the next year. We started adding the beast to the subscription once Battle Cat and Panthor and you know etc. started doing well. Yeah. So yeah. it was you know it, that was it was always like that. Like you know and then we had the add-on subscription and then we had the quarterly figure. You know it was it was like that. You you sort of tested it first. If it did well, then it got added to the subscription. Would would you make the same amount of Battle Cats as you would do a figure? Would would the quantity change between a Say, say Battle Cat and a He-Man. Oh, with the Battle Cat, that was an exception because Battle Cat was definitely the only call it beast. Maybe Swiftwind, but not even Panther. Battle Cat is like not just a major character, but he's one that the public. There's very few figures that the public immediately recognizes. Mm. I mean, very few. Yeah. And I mean, probably like you know, Skeletor, He-Man. Battle Cat and Orko are honestly like 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 if you put a picture of Man at Arms, you know, in front of like a random group, a lot of people might have no idea who that is. Mm. But you don't put... recognize or you know. So Battle Cat, yeah, he's one of those like, those, like four or five. So we definitely made a lot more Battle Cats because we knew we could there there was going to be also be the casual consumer who yeah. was going to want to buy He-Man and Battle Cat and put them on their desk. Oh, because Battle Cat was quite readily available on the Matty Collector side as well as constantly for sale as well, if I remember correctly as well. As was Panthor later on as well. I remember, but I do remember Battle Cat. That was one of the ones that was a constant stable on on Matty Collector. Once kind of Matty kind of settled down a little, because obviously there was a lot of yeah. a lot of little bumps in the road. And, and then that must have been a, a headache for you as well, Scott, having to deal with all that as well, because that was it was kind of your jam there, if, if, if you will, the whole Maddie Collector, and it was just, you know, IT and all that stuff, you're relying on a whole digital river shenanigans and all that, all that kind of crap, that must have been a right pain in the butt for you at the time as well, and that must have been just unnecessary hit it, because all you cared about was just getting figures out to people, right? I mean, I, I wanted to do it right, too, I mean, <laughs> yeah. of course, but mm. yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it definitely was not a one-man show in any way, but I think the real hitch was that it wasn't my job. Yeah, if you will. yeah, yeah. Because you had and to invent I, the role, you know, didn't you, for this stuff essentially? Uh, yeah, and I was basically Mattel was going to let me do it as long as I was doing it in addition to my job, which was running the DC line. Mm -hmm. So that was it. Was basically, yeah. I mean, I just you know, I, whatever resources I had, whatever non media, whatever you know, I could beg, borrow, and steal. Mm. That was you know, and yeah. I mean, of course there were hiccups, but we were doing the best we we could, and 
honestly, looking back, I think we did an amazing job, especially for the resources we had. Yeah, no, 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 no one cares about any of that stuff. Now, the bottom line is, I, like I said, once the subscription came in, I think just basically everything just kind of settled back down because we had that reliance and that loveliness of getting a figure a month. Or, and I remember you used to come on and say, like, you get 12 figures, and we might have a couple of surprises in there. And then you get like a Jelly Belly Hordak, for instance, as I call him Jelly Belly Hordak. That is his official title, Jelly Belly yeah. Hordak. You know, dropping him in there randomly and, and stuff like that. Well, just, just absolutely great fun but the, of course the big the big thing I, I mean so after battle cat then then wind raider so comparatively speaking what would be more costly to do uh, uh, well first of all let's tell us a little bit because you, you got into wind raider how, how did wind raider uh, come, come about because i look at the wind raider and and uh, it's 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 a stunning vehicle i love i love the classics wind raiders the, the design on it the, 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 it's got power uh, it's it's got real sense of uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, motion to it. It's got a real sense of forward. Mo- it's, I don't. Know, I'm. I'm. I'm missing the word. That I'm missing there. But what? momentum. Momentum. There you go. It's got a momentum behind <laughs> this, or a thrust. You know, it's just it's just power behind that vehicle. You know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely love the Wind Raider, and, and the scale of it is just perfect as well. So, can you tell us a little bit what the, the how how Wind Raider came about? Because obviously, it, it's 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 notably more like the original box art with the kind of more dragon skull. Are, uh, on, on top of the thing as opposed to the very nondescript thing that we ended up on the Wind Raider which is a very strange weird thing that discrepancy in the vintage toy wasn't it we had this amazing dragon head sculpt on the actual box art and then you got the actual toy out and it's like what the I don't what even is that I don't know what that is what is it <laughs> it's a duck it's a uh... duck <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that was kind of the whole point of classics as well, and I think Origins is doing that too, where it was modeled much more after the the artwork, mm-hmm. what you know, what was intended to be versus what wound up being. You know, I mean, like Man at Arms is a good example too, where you see the fur around the armor mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. you know, which the toy didn't have, but the art did, or Merman's head, if you will. Mm-hmm. So the same was applied to the Wind Raider, and it was really the Horsemen. I mean, we didn't, I don't think we gave them any specific. Like we were, we were just cooking, you know, together so well that we didn't need to give them any creative brief. We were just like, make a wind raider, mm-hmm. and you know, they were the ones who chose all the aesthetics and look, and you know, to make it look more like the box art, which we kind of knew they would. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, why we did, same thing with Battle Cat. It was like, okay, the beasts are doing great. We were always basically just trying to push the envelope and see, like, okay, what could we do next? Could we do a vehicle? Would that actually work? Could we do a playset? Would that actually work? there's no bigger secret than that is just you know trying to constantly push the envelope and see what else we could make um and you know the wind raider was just an obvious choice for the first vehicle since it was an early vehicle and it was used a lot in the show it had a lot of recognition right I, yeah 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 one so two uh, two interesting like feedbacks on it was one the uh, it had the uh the projectile launcher on the front that you could then wheel back up the anchor I, for some reason fans, yeah, being like angry over that, saying you said classics wouldn't have action features. Oh And was like, well, really? Yeah. Someone see really? Someone give you flack because it had an action feature? Oh, so much slack! Like I would oh. constantly like I betrayed them and like, you know, oh, presented things. Some fans. And Dude. I was like, yeah, the reason it did is because it was a fully sculpted thing, and it wasn't like. The action feature, there wasn't like a peg. It wasn't like it interrupted the sculpt. Mm-hmm. So 
anyway, it doesn't matter. But I just remember that laughing even oh today. Like, God, God. I remember being like angry that there was an action feature. Dude, I design action figures now. I've designed over nearly 100 action figures now. Would you believe that? And and some of the, I I, I had a Gambit, a Mezco Gambit that I part co-designed. Uh, Mezco Gambit and some of the people like just like kind of like give me a little bit of flack for why there's no ab crunch and it's just like oh, oh. and it's just you can explain it to him hey do you not think if we wanted an ab if, if, if we could have given him an ab crunch we'd give him an ab crunch it's it's not like these action figure makers don't want to do these things that we all want it's not, if it's not there it's usually a good reason why it's not happening it's just physicality there's limitations and da, 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 da. but I, I think just some fans are amazing of course but just there just seems to be a lot of fans out where they, they they have this kind of faceless platform they can go on just spew out their bile and then they just go away and forget about it kind of thing i'm a firm believer here mini rant i'm a firm believer that if you had everyone's full name and postcode alongside every comment they ever made anywhere, you'd have a lot less, you know, dickery, quite frankly, from people on online. I, I, ju I just, I'm just firm believer that there, there's an anonymity where people can just like, you know, just vomit out their bile and, and, and give you all the load of crap in the world, and then you can just run away and forget about it, being completely anonymous. I think if we dropped anonymity online, the whole online world would be a lot, lot nicer place. Cause you can... I mean, yeah, the internet is basically like the modern version of a bathroom stall wall. <laughs> it really, really is. We go around in like Jane Silent Bob and Jane Silent Bob right back and just start beating everyone up and pile driving them and stuff like that. <laughs> That's all, that was awesome. So, of course, and, and of course, I, I love taxi because I'm, I'm in the toy business myself and I love asking these questions. So, so the Wind Raider, cost-wise, was the Wind Raider more expensive than a bat? So, Battlecat would be a more expensive tool than, say, He-Man because he's much larger, right? I mean, yeah, it's basically, I mean, the larger the item, the more complex the item, the more expensive mm. the tool. So, yeah, I mean, Wind Raider was even more expensive to make, so it was the next step. Right, and right, right. I also remember whatever the uh, quota was that we ordered, I don't, I couldn't even remember if I told, you know, if you asked me, but let's just say for a round number, it was 10,000 units. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, we only got like 1,500 of them in for the day of sale oh. because it was just like lagging. So oh, yeah. it sold out really quickly, but that's because we only had a small yeah. handful, and all the fans started selling. It's like, oh yeah, it sold out so quickly. Like now they now they can make all these vehicles, and I was posting like, no, 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 guys, it sold out because we didn't get our full quota in, mm -hmm. and then the full quota arrived and it just sat there. Oh. And I tried to explain that, but it's like for some reason that just never connected with fans as much as I would spell it out like mm. directly. That's right. Wind Raider did sit on there for quite a while, actually, as well, didn't it? That's that that that's 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 mental. But it's a great vehicle, anyway. So I absolutely love the Wind Raider. It's absolutely stunning. And of course, now we're going to get onto the thing. Now we're going to get onto the big one. Now, at what point along the line was the the Castle Grayskull? Did you feel that Castle Grayskull was going to be a war possibility? Because here we are now, Scott. It is 2020, and to this day, nothing has been made quite like Castle Grayskull. I mean, all right. Unicron, maybe, and the yeah, yeah okay, fine. well that that's arguable, <laughs> that's arguable. The only other thing that competes with Castle Grayskull, in my opinion, would be Jabba's sail barge. Okay, and and look at the cost of that Jabba sail barge <laughs> compared to Castle Grayskull as well. So, well, we we got we're, we're, we'll talk about Snake Mountain. We'll actually end the conversation actually on, on the Snake Mountain. I think we'll get we'll get onto them because I'd like to hear your thoughts and and stuff like that. And we'll hopefully Snake Mountain is on a ship somewhere starting to come over slowly but where, where was it along the line then that you decided okay 
we we can do a, a Castle Grayskull. At, at what point and how did that make you feel then when you got the go ahead? What was what was the story there? All right, so here I don't think I've actually told this story before. So uh, hang on, hats and glasses, kids. This one's for the the, the memory <laughs> books. All right, so Castle, the reason that Castle Grayskull got made was basically, if you will, knowing how I don't want to say play the Mattel system, mm. but it was about playing the Mattel system. Yeah. So mm. we had done the hoverboard for Back to the Future. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, which did very well, despite again, you know fans being upset over details and I'm not blaming any of them. There were 27 hoverboards used in the movie. How do you pick which one to do? Right. Yeah, right yeah. But the point is we did the hoverboard and it did well. And management tends to, you know, obvious for obvious reasons, they bring everything down to black and white numbers. Yeah. And for them, the hoverboard was one single skew that did a lot of money mm-hmm. basically because with management and right again, rightly so, it was all about um, skew count and revenue. You know, how many skews are you doing and how much revenue per skew? Explain to our listeners what a skew is, please. Oh, uh, an item. Any item is Any a skew. Item. Like, yeah, He-Man's a skew, Battle Cat's a skew, right. Wind Raider's a skew, etc. And a skew can have little accessories and bits as well. It's just one It's it's, it's one item, one thing. Yeah, although, Product. honestly, it, it, what was frightening was their definition actually did change year to year and sometimes... A two pack would count as two skews. Sometimes it would count as one skew, and it just made me want to tear my hair out. But again, that's important <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah, rules changed all the time. Uh, <laughs> like whoever was the current CEO. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, and of course, goal goal pulse would kind of change as well a little bit as well. It's like, oh god, yeah. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there'd be sometimes where like you know, Madame Raz and Broom would count as two skews, and other times she wouldn't. So it's like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So the point being is, it was always about skew count and revenue per skew, uh, you know, rev, you know, per item. So you know, and you know, classics had a very high skew count, more or less, because we were doing you know twenty figures a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the hoverboard stood out because it was you know, if a management's just looking at a Excel spreadsheet of Maddie Collector sales, you know, looking at okay, you know, this skew made this much, this skew made that much. They'll get to the hoverboard and be like, whoa, one single skew and it did this much money? That's fantastic. Do more of that. Right, okay. So we were basically, yeah, told by management to find another large item to do. Yes! Oh, that must have been amazing to hear that. Oh, completely. Yeah, we're like, okay, did you really give us permission to do that? Okay. You sure you want us to do that? So we sat down with the team and we talked about what to do. And two items came up pretty quickly as the obvious ones. One was a proton pack, mm-hmm. and one was Castle Grayskull. Oh! And you know, we so we discussed them and essentially decided Castle Grayskull was definitely the one to do because a the proton pack was going to require a lot of electronics and a lot of metal and different parts, but it was also at the end of the day a licensed product. Versus Castle Grayskull was our own and was just going to be more or less plastic. So from a engineering and logistics standpoint, yeah. Castle Grayskull won all the way. I mean, it's territory you know, you're very familiar with, basically, essentially. Right. Yeah. It's basically doing what, what Mattel already knows how to do. Yeah, versus yeah, a yeah. proton pack was going to be, re- you know, it reaching new ground, and it was mm-hmm. much better to do something within our playbook. Right. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. 
it was basically going to be the same thing as the hoverboard where we were going to pre-sell it to ensure we had enough quota. And when I got up and presented Castle Grayskull at Senior Core, I mentioned that earlier, like with Ram Man. So, you know, you've got the, you know, the VPs of all the different groups in front of you, as well as 100 people in the peanut gallery, including your whole, your team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the opportunity for the, you know, the VP of design, the VP of engineering, the VP of marketing, the VP of packaging to all ask questions and poke holes in your plan and either give it the gavel forward or say, you know, go back and revise this and come back again. So, yeah, again, playing the Mattel system and I... it, it, your fortune favors the bold. We got up, we presented the whole thing, we showed how we were going to do it, we showed which version we were going to do. How, how would you show how you're going to, oh, you made a cardboard cutout, didn't you? Yeah, but at this point, I was just showing a PowerPoint. Right, all right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all, basically all senior core presentations are more or less PowerPoint, and you might bring out a model if you have it. Right. So, uh, yeah, this, well, we might have had the cardboard cutout, but either way, yeah, that's all we had. Mm -hmm. And after we finished the whole presentation, a certain VP that I'm not going to name um, for, uh, I guess, sanity's sake, but this per this person uh, essentially said, you keep saying you were challenged to make, you know, another, you know, this big item. Like, you keep saying that. What are you talking about? Who challenged you to do this? <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, um, you did? You want the bigger items. I like the scheme with the bigger SKUs. Well, I was like, literally, you, the, and, and God, do I say this in front of like 200 people? But she, the person was asking. So I was like, well, you were the one that challenged us to do this. And this person had a history of kind of forgetting certain things. Oh, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. More or less, it got approved in senior core because this certain VP was kind of embarrassed into giving it approval. Okay. okay. It was basically like, oh, crap, you caught me. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Approved, but you have to get X amount of pre-orders. Um, and I honestly think that if that tiny, small detail hadn't happened, it probably wouldn't have gotten approved. That's the corporate, the corporate so world for you, I guess, isn't it? Go ahead, sorry. That's just the way the corporate world works, isn't it? I guess that's just, just I mean, that is the way with large corporations. You know, that's just sometimes the way some things serendipitously happen. Happy, happy accidents or happy kind of misfortunes, if you will, a happy accident kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like, you know, who told you to make this? Right, yeah, yeah. I learned it from watching you. So that was a reference to an old PA drug commercial, but that's not <laughs> um, you know. How did you learn to do these drugs? I learned it from watching you, Dad. <laughs> but yeah, who challenged you to make this? Um, you did. And so, so for, from that inception then, from that like that, that board meeting, what, what, what happened then? Obviously, you, you go to the Four Horsemen then and say, right, lads. Because I, from what I understand, I remember the Four Horsemen being quite up against it time-wise to try and get it sculpted where everybody came in and kind of pulled double shifts to try and do a little piece of Castle Grayskull every day just to try and get it done. I believe there was a little bit of a bit of a rush there, wasn't it, to try and actually get a, a solid prototype made? More or less. And at the same time, we're scrambling to pre-sell it like the way Hasbro Pulse does now, yeah. you know, with things like the Sentinel and the, and the uh, Sail Barge and Unicron and mm -hmm. Cookie Monster. And, uh, yeah, you know, and basically... In order to make it, we had to hit that MOQ number, whatever, 
whatever, whatever the number was. But at the same time, because of Mattel policy, I couldn't give out production numbers. So we only had this sort of like Hasbro tells you exactly how many, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But Mattel doesn't allow that to happen mm-hmm. because they consider production numbers proprietary. So I couldn't tell fans how many we needed. I just had this arbitrary meter. Yeah. And, you know, it, and I was, you know, and we also didn't know if the final version was going to be exactly like the blueprints. I mean, there were some small changes that happened. Mm-hmm. And oh, there, was, you know, there was a few small changes. There was one. Wasn't there yeah, there was the dungeon grade. I think even the size went down two inches. Um, what about that front door? The front door, yeah, and then we had to lower that. Why did you, why did you have to lower the front door, Scott? To make sure He Man could fit through it. And who pointed that out, Scott? I, I guess you did. Yeah! <laughs> I remember, do you remember it was at San Diego uh, Comic Con and had the, the lovely girl? What was her name again? She was so beautiful. Uh, uh, you had... uh, oh, the one that was. In front of Castle Grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was my first Comic Con. We I went straight over to Castle Grace, and the first thing I did was put a He-Man figure through the door, and I <laughs> and I lost my mind. I was like, "What?" <laughs> but it was uh, what was her name? It, it begins with an A. Was it an A? She was stunning. She was absolutely beautiful. This girl, just a smile girl. She was ever so lovely and polite, as nice and friendly as well, kind of thing. I, I, I mean, I absolutely picture picture in my mind. Yeah, she was blonde. She had like a corset thing going. Cause we yeah, had, like, she was really really thing. super it wasn't Trisha. Used Trisha. A lot, and we used Natalie a lot, but it wasn't either. It was I, I don't. I can't remember. I, I can't, can't remember. I, I can't remember her name either. She, she was really, really, really nice. But yeah, that was, that was like one of my earliest San Diego Comic Cons, and I remember get, going to Cascades and being blown away by how how it looks and stuff. But just the heat man couldn't. Get and it I did love it. that we had like yeah, a dedicated spokesmodel for it. That was awesome. Yeah, she she knew exactly what it was and stuff like that and things. So that that, that was good. And I also remember as well, you were very good enough. We were having a convention over here in the UK, and you were absolutely awesome enough to send us over a prototype because you had a. I think you got one or two prototypes, or maybe this was the one prototype you were shipping around to different conventions so people could actually see. We actually could play with it and everything. It wasn't boxed or anything. It came, obviously it came in a box, but it wasn't the artwork box or anything like that. It was just, it was, yeah, and those, like the chains weren't properly done. There was a few things that weren't quite done, but it was absolutely brilliant. Do you remember, you, do you remember that? You sent it over to us for the UK? Oh yeah, I and mean, we were absolutely, we were basically doing everything humanly possible to promote this and get word out about it. Mm. And you know, we knew it was going to be an amazing toy, but honestly, I think very few people thought we were going to hit the number. Yeah. Um, and it was more like, well, you know, as long as Scott's doing his day job with DC, if he wants to spend his weekends hawking Castle Grayskull, like, more power to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but we did. We hit that. We finally hit the number. Um, we actually exceeded the number, which was great, because it kind of gave me, like, um, not collateral, but, you know, like, political capital. Yeah, a bit of clout. <laughs> give you a bit of clout, yeah. as they would say, yeah. yeah. Um, we're basically Can you repeat that last sentence there, Scott? You're cut, you just cut off there a little bit. Question it anymore. And, oh, can you hear me? Yeah. No, you're, you you just cut off. Just just repeat what you just said there. Last the last sentence there. Oh, that it basically you know exceeding our number gave me some political capital yeah, yeah. that no one was going to really question the skew anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we had basically all right, let's go forward and you know which you know you want to use Rudy to the art, fine, go ahead. You yeah, want to you know do this, I, I, go I was, ahead. I was about to ask you about that actually. So uh, yeah, was 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 that always your intention then to get Rudy? Because you obviously got Rudy in for the Wind Raider. And he also did the first two maps. Oh, yes, of course he did the maps. He did the maps. Yeah. Of course he did. So yeah. we had a relationship with him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, it's like obvious. And, you know, and doing things like we, we had a, I think if you pre-ordered or something, you got to vote on which characters were going to be on the box art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, 
Yeah, you it was know, very fan interactive. So was the whole thing was very fan yeah. interactive. It was great. Yeah. It was, yeah. You know, it, it was very groundbreaking. Um, you know, and I mean, Hasbro Pulse should get all the credit for inventing that type of sale. <laughs> no one did it before Hasbro Pulse. No, they didn't. No, no. That, that it's. Oh. It, I think it's. I think. And I bet you a lot of other companies are going to because a lot of toy companies now are going to Kickstarter. Now look at McFarlane taking his Spawn figure to 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 Kickstarter as well. It seems to be a bit of a model now for adult collectors. I mean, I. I have my yeah. issues with that personally on a personal level, but that's a podcast for another day. I mean, there, I, I'm for and against this as well. I mean, I I don't like big corporations, quite frankly, putting the the risk onto a customer like that, especially on an item like a Jabba sale barge or something like that. That is something that everyone has actually wanted. Masters was different because a, you had no entertainment out there. It was a very much a niche, niche, niche within a niche within the Mattel mm-hmm. uh, angle. So I, it, it, it it was a no mean feat to get Castle... Castle Grayskull done, and we are starting to get move on with the time a little bit here, guys. So we've got about maybe ten minutes, ten minutes left. Uh, so within the ten minutes, I just wanted to kind of like maybe get through. Was there anything you wanted to add any bit more onto Castle Grayskull, and then we'll finish off then with the Snake Mountain conversation, Scott. Um, I mean, really, just I mean, it absolutely exceeded expectations. Uh, I mean, I've got it right here in my office. I'm looking right at it. It's brilliant. Um, it's flipping yeah, amazing. I mean, it's, an, it's an unbelievable toy. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I think we got it out there for a good, a great price. I remember one other issue was the um, the the jaw bridge mm. and having a mechanism where you stick the sword into the rock to have the 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 jaw bridge lower. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of my only comments back to design was I wanted that feature. And I got a very angry email back from the head of of design <laughs> saying, you know, stay in your lane. You're in marketing. Ah! You're not how to design this toy. Uh, you know, we've got this. And my, my direct manager at that time really went to bat for me and wrote back because she was CC'd. And she was like, no, shut up, Scott. I mean, not that. But she's like, Scott knows what he's talking about. You yeah. need to do this. Argument over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, yeah. that. Like I thought I was going to have to let that one go. Well, I guess because uh, sometimes maybe there's a, the, the guys in design aren't quite as familiar with the brand as you might be exactly, and that, that is a key feature for the castle. That was never in the original toy because he did it in the door kind of thing, which was a bit, but in the actual artwork, it was he stuck it into the side of the stone, didn't he, Skeletor? Yeah, and it wasn't ju- it wasn't um, you know just yeah that it being a key feature, um, but it you know it was like design didn't want to be told what to do. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Especially well, by marketing. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the politics, you know, especially a large company, is just ridiculous. Yeah. We're just making like you know, good toys, and there were many times where I'd have to like just like you had to know which battles to fight. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this was one that I wanted to fight, but I anyway, yeah, I got shot down at first, but then mm-hmm. my direct supervisor jumped in and was like, "No, you know, Scott's right. Make this happen." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great, and yeah, I mean it. it it was awesome. I remember a lot of fans thinking that they didn't get the uh, pawn that goes on the top that clicks into the top of the crown because it, the way it shipped was the pawn was literally in a poly bag behind the throne. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so many people missed it, and we were getting all these angry emails saying, "I didn't get no, my look pawn. in the box, look in the box," <laughs> and I'm like, "Look behind the throne. If it's not there, call me back." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was that was just kind of a funny thing because you know ninety nine point nine 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 
of them were like, oh, yeah, sorry, it, it's there. It's such a solid toy as well. I mean, it really is high quality. The plastic is really thick and dense, and it's just it's got a ton of, ton of lovely features. I absolutely adore that Castle Grayskull toy, so I do. Absolutely think it's amazing. But how long after that then? So you, you got the Castle Grayskull, you'd, you'd proved, hey, I got I kind of know what I'm doing here, guys. You know, listen, just just trust me on this kind of thing. What what we're gonna end up conversation now because we literally have about like ten 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 seven to ten minutes left. Uh, well, one thing I'd just like to say, sorry, before we end that on Gray Skull, um, I just want to say to Scott, I, I really appreciated it as a fan how you listened to the suggestions from the fans mm. when Gray Skull was being made. Like as a fan, I felt like it was, you know, I mean, you're doing all the work. But, you know, you're taking feedback from fans, and I think a lot of fans felt like it was like a, a, a team effort, which I think probably helped with those with those sales. And like, uh, you know, Eamon had mentioned, like, you listen to things like, you know, the suggestion about lowering the jaw bridge to have the base have a wider opening. And there was a few other things, too. I think we didn't mention it, but adding a keyhole in the back uh, for Scareglow's key ah, yeah. was a really nice add-on. And then, you know, we talked about the uh, adding the slot, um, you know, the, the crack for the jaw bridge, like in the mini comics. And then there was also um, the sorceress's throne mm -hmm. for the tail feathers. Uh, that was added so she could actually sit in, because I remember the prototype didn't have that, and that was added to the final one. And uh, just little touches like that, I thought, were really awesome. Yeah, yeah good, good call, actually. Yeah, I remember, remember the, the throne thing was something you did, actually, after the fact as well, after, like, you know, in, it, it was. I, I remember Castle Grayskull being one of those kinds of things, because you were, I remember I was, you were on a point, we're all trying to make it as best as possible, so, you know, and, and look, look how it did turn out. And, and, yeah, I mean, it's like if we got a suggestion from the fans that made sense, um, I mean, I, I'll... I'll absolutely admit the the um, sorceress, uh, like the feather hole, if you will, wasn't something that occurred to me. Mm. And then when the fans brought it up, I was like, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, versus like the Scareglow key, that was also one that I insisted. I was like, you have to have a slot for his key. We mm. made a key. I think it was actually in the same email. It was one email where I said we needed the the uh, the, the the rock for the sword in the front, the keyhole for Scareglow's key, and the throne. Uh, the feather slot, mm -hmm. and that was the email that design was like, "Don't tell us how to design yeah, this." And, you see, they were but, but I sort of bundled all three of those together, and luckily, because my manager was at my back, um, design was like, "All right, fine, we'll do it." But yeah, I mean, it was absolutely because the fans were pointing us, and it made sense. Like we the, we weren't trying to make it wrong. You know, we wanted to make it best. We the, it was a partnership with the yeah, fans. Because, yeah. We couldn't have made it without the pre-commitment. Mm, exactly. So. No, it was just it was it was it was it was, it was a great time. But it was a great time. But so Snake Mountain then. So tell us a little bit because Snake Mountain's obviously what must have been must be a little bit emotional for you because it was kind of the end and 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 then Super Seven have gone on. So tell us a little bit about the Snake Mountain, and uh, um, and, well, and, I mean, and we'll call it a day then after that. Yeah, I mean it was basically I mean, we could always do a part three if you want. I'm always available. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, yeah, it was basically just like enough years had gone by and we wanted to try to, you know, uh, you know, reinvigorate the line with another playset. We were actually looking at relaunching the line as Motu Chronicles, oh. more or less just to, uh, you know, for people who wanted an out, they had an out. But this it also gave us an excuse to redo the major characters again, like mm. you know, give them more articulation. And by then, He Man was like ten years old, mm -hmm. as far as school. So it was it was basically going to be part of that 
rebranding of classics as Motu Chronicles. You'd still keep the initials, but it would have a new name and new packaging. Mm-hmm. And it was basically going to be, yeah, the same thing where we were going to just follow the exact same protocol we did with Castle Grayskull and pre-sell it, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. I think second, me, li- second life, essentially, for the same line. Yeah, the whole idea. I mean, we knew, you know, not just that sales were going down, but we, more importantly, we were running out of characters. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's always, you know, there's, there's D-list characters out the wazoo, mm. but the main characters just sold infinitely better. And that was also why we did the filmation figures is because it was a new way to revisit the main cast. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of rebranding it as Chronicles was that we could keep Dila's characters coming, but now we could put out He-Man, Man-at-Arms, Tila, Skeletor, Beast-Man again, give them more articulation, you know, different accessories, different head sculpts, and fans wouldn't be as upset because we weren't just redoing figures. This was, quote-unquote, a different line. So mm. I'm making air quotes here. So, <laughs> you know, plus if fans were done, it gave them an out. They could say, I was a classics fan. I have all the classics figures. I'm out. I'm done. And for fans who wanted to keep going, it was something new and exciting. And, uh, you know, the packaging would change for the first time in like 10 years. And Snake Mountain was going to be the like the keystone item for that brand switch over. Right. Right, what right. surprised me the most was the fact that even after, after I left, there was obviously you know not as much momentum to do the line entire at all, just because there really wasn't someone to jump into that slot. I was surprised, honestly, that they kept Snake Mountain going. Um, <laughs> it would have been so much easier to not make it. Mm. But I'm so I mean I'm delighted that Super Seven took over because they're much more qualified to do this kind of line. You know, a collector only line. Mattel is in the business. Big mass retail stuff. Mass market markets. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not set up logistically to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it made more sense for Super 7. And, you know, it, I mean, I, I worked on Snake Bound to the point of all the way up to the sculpt. I mean, we knew what was going into it. Mm-hmm. The one thing that didn't show up, I think, uh, was that we were going to have for pre orders, you were going to get a portal, uh, like, like a Skeletor filmation. <gasps> oh, portal. wicked! Yeah, that was going to be like a bonus piece, ah, and nice. I guess that just never happened. But ah. I, I still to this day being like, oh, that would have been so cool. Um, I probably would have put it with my Doctor Strange, but that's not important. And you toyed as well with some electronics as well on that one as well, wasn't there? Was some Bluetooth? I I think you were going to have a little bit of a speaker situation. Yeah, a Bluetooth speaker. yeah, that's right. They were going to do a whole Bluetooth thing, like mimicking the old toys voice changer, mm-hmm. like a bot version of that but you could but it was also going to work so you could like listen to the radio or podcast <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that'd be quite fun so, well. yeah it could like work as your speakers in your office and, um, and as, yeah. it, as it stands right now where we're, we're, we're sat here the last we've heard from Brian Brian Flynn was that there's some on a boat there's some snake mountains on a boat I'm I'm, I'm just dying to see a final product video uh, Pixel Dan did, did a video uh, with, with uh, Brian recently but sadly the quality was 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 bad on Brian's and not Dan's and on Brian's and you actually couldn't make out hardly any of the details at all kind of a thing but it had lot the lots of little features of the pulling the little creatures out or the kind of face motifs on the wall and because let's face it the back of the inside original vintage Snake Mountain was just like nothing there was just nothing there it was just like what what, what is there was nothing what could you do with the inside of Castle Snake Mountain it was a diorama more than anything that original toy but the new one now with that that Super 7 have done and of course Scott they did actually have to scale it down from the one that you uh, got uh, w- 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 when you were still at Mattel it, it, it has been scaled down a little bit I believe the um, 
the monster head is a little bit smaller on on on, on that side of it than the one that you originally showed. As, as far and as I it. imagine Mattel probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. obviously the, the Talon fighter got shrunk a little bit, didn't it? The 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 base on that got shrunk quite substantially, didn't it? Last minute, didn't it? That's right. I forgot. Well, it was only designed to fit on the on the castle. Yeah. So it was basically as long as it fit. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But but I, but I remember it having a wider base as well, where it's a little bit more of a wider. It took up more floor space and, and and things like that. But at the moment, though, we are, as I said, we are just waiting on Snake Mount. I mean, do we do? Do you have any idea when we're when we're going to be getting it? I wonder. Will we have it in time for Christmas? Is the big question. I have absolutely no idea. I'm I'm out of that game, unfortunately. Well, I mean, have you got one you, on order yourself? Did are you, are you hopefully going to get one yourself? You got it right. I actually did not. Um, <laughs> Not because I don't like Snake Mountain, but I literally have no place to put it. Yeah, that is the problem yeah. everyone's facing with the Snake Mountain. How about you, John Atkins? Where are you going to put your Snake Mountain when you get it? Uh, well, I'm uh, turning uh, the guest room into the He-Man room in the next few weeks, so wow. it's it's got a space. It definitely has a space, but it is going to take up a lot of real estate for sure. It will. I mean, it, it does fold in half, so that is good. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, I mean, I have, I have a, a an office where all my toys are, which is where I'm in right now. Mm. And the thing is, like, I have a lot. I mean, I have all my He-Man stuff, but I have, you know, a lot of Marvel Legends and Star Wars and, uh, you know, Voltron. And I mean, I'm looking around my office. I like having a mix of everything. And I think Snake Mountain for me was. I think if I worked on it, I obviously would have gotten one. But mm. it was just kind of a bridge too far. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Personally, I mean, mm. I'm not knocking it at all. I also never had Snake Mountain as a kid, so I don't have that emotional connection oh, to the playset. Right, set. right, right. Gotcha. gotcha. I'm, I'll, you know, when I'm rich and powerful, I'm sure I'll pick one up on the secondary market. They'll be expensive, but I'll be so rich that I won't care about that. Yeah, it'll be like, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'll be it'll be like two grand in about like a year's time or something like that. Wait, quick question: Was there ever any plans to make a slime pit? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was actually supposed to come out before Snake Mountain oh. was going to be a slime pit. Oh, would have, was there any? Was there a prototype or anything of that made at all or anything? No, never made it past like you know sketchy drawing stage. paper and yeah, like like financial statements. Nothing. Uh, uh, that would I still to this day I would love a slime because it's just, it's just to me it's just an awesome looking object. It's just a big skull with a big kind of Roman columns and a pit and and stuff. And it would have come with uh, the 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 uh, the slime He-Man that PowerCon did. Ah, was that the intention there? So, yeah, so I actually had to get that figure because, like, that figure was part of, my, you know, the plan while I was still in Mattel. I was like, hey, we were going to do that figure with the slime pit. Oh, God, Edge that's the only classics figure I'm actually missing. I've got every single classics figure ever made except for, obviously, the, the crystal, this crystal King Grayskull idiot, but you only made, like, ten of those. But I never got a, a power, I never got a slime pit He-Man at all, a PowerCon slime pit He-Man, sadly. If anyone's out there can help me with that, that'd be great, but, I, I you know, it's, a, it's, it's skyrocketed on price kind of thing, and if a figure goes beyond the price, I'm like, nah, I'm not, I cannot justify that kind of a thing anymore. Uh, what was I going to say to you? So what, um, what, answer me this. Here was an odd little one, Scott, uh, before we let you go. I managed, and a few of us managed, and it seemed to be a consistent thing. I found a statue He-Man figure. Do you know the King Grayskull? Remember when we, you guys released King Grayskull and we got the statue version of the bronze one? Yes. Well, a He-Man showed up out of China, and it's consistent paint job throughout all of them. And I managed to get one. And to me, this looks like a legit thing that just didn't end up getting made for whatever reason. Can, can you cast any light on that at all? Or is that something you're completely oblivious to? The second, uh, totally oblivious. It might have been something Super 7 was toying with or... You know, no, Mattel- no, this, this wasn't Mattel. It, it's, it's, it's like literally, it's the He-Man figure. It's the standard classic He-Man figure, but done in the bronze format. And it is done exactly like 
exactly like King Grayskull. It is the exact same kind of paint app. It's the exact same level of paint. It's the it's you, you look. It's not it's not a custom. I mean, I I don't know unless I mean it's, I guess it's quite possible then that the, the Chinese might have just had a bunch of these He-Men's and they just painted them bronze and shipped them out because it's all one or whatever. I mean, what would you think? What, what what would be the likely situation there? Do you think, Scott? I'll have to send you. Have, have you ever seen this? I'll have to send you a picture of this actually. Yeah, no, I, I've heard people t- mention it, but no, I haven't actually seen. It. Yeah, you'll have to send me an image. I've actually got one. You can and you can still get them on eBay right now. You can still get them. He's the exact same. It's like there's loads of them. It's weird. Yeah, and they sell pretty reasonable, around fifty dollars. Yeah. Um, which kind of makes me think it's not official, but... Yeah? You reckon it's not official? Uh, I, I don't think it is. I don't I know. Don't think I think we should just try and make it into a Wonder Bread situation again and just, <laughs> just make everyone freak out over a figure that may or may not have been a real deal. I've, had, yeah. I've actually had arguments with people about that, but anyway... That's it now, Scott. We've, we've, we've come to the end of our podcast. What we might do is we might get you back on uh, when the Snake Mountain comes in and stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, did you get, for instance, the movie figures, uh, Scott? The, the, the Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella Super 7 movie figures? Did you get those? I actually cast on those, too. Oh. Um, but, and I've heard how great they are. They are awesome. They are awesome. Yeah. It, yeah. it was just much more, I had my classics collection and mm. they didn't fit with that. Yeah, yeah. And... While I, I'm not knocking them, and they do, I've heard how amazing they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, I mean, I got the Granita Wave, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Dial a Mug, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Oh, he's great, Dial a Mug, isn't he? Um, you know, I got all of all of those figures, but I kind of, once I wasn't working on the line, I basically, as a as sort of a collector, I'd say, okay, what am I collecting? Yeah, collect yeah, everything. gotcha. I yeah. understand. Well, you, you, and, yeah, you have you have to kind of like say. This is my and for me it was classics. You know, I was going to get every classics figure, so that's what I got. And they just they didn't fit. And I was like, all right, you know what? Again, when I'm rich and famous and money doesn't matter, I'll just pick those up on the secondary market mm. one day. Mm. <laughs> I always, I sort of do intend to get them and to get Snake Mountain, but because I don't have a place to put them yeah, or put yeah, them yeah, yeah. right now. Don't don't don't. I I plan to be you know extremely rich and. I as as one as as, as do we all. So so one yeah. day, you know, when money doesn't matter, but, uh, you know, I'll just pick it up and you know, like it's not like you can't not get it if you have the money. Yeah, exactly. Everything's yeah. available now if you got the money. And before before we let you go, one final question: Is there any figure that you wanted to make in the classics line but never did, or did it end up in uh, be made by Super Seven, or is is is, there, is that figure still made to this day that you feel would actually be a good figure, and you would have you'd have loved to have gotten made, or an item that you would have loved to have gotten made? And say, yes, if I'd have gotten to make that, I would have been, because I mean. I mean, all right. I mean, it's it, let's let's be frank. It, it it's not nice that you it, that you know how it kind of ended up at the end at the end at the end of your time at Mattel kind of thing. But obviously, your your memories of that line are are are, are they are they positive? Are was it a good time for you? What, are you what what's your overall feeling now? I mean, aside from the, I mean, I'll tell you right now, you should be very proud that the classics is amazing, dude. You know, my figures are still out on the shelf. They're still a pride of place in my apartment. I absolutely adore them, so you should be proud. But just from you on a personal level, where were you? How 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 did you look back on that time? Was it a hair pulling situation? Was it like ah? Or what was it for you? I mean, it definitely at the time it was a hair pulling situation, <laughs> but um. You know, I tried not to ever take things personally, mm. and because I knew, you know, I was doing the best I could with what I had. It was the hardest part about leaving Mattel was that I was, you know, like leaving Masters of the Universe Classics, which was like kind of my baby. Yeah, yeah. But 
part of my leaving was the fact that I couldn't work for toy samples anymore. I mean, I had a young family, I had a daughter, and I was kind of hitting a brick wall as far as promotions with Mattel and, you know, upward movement in my career. And I was offered a really lucrative opportunity as well as a chance to work on... Oh, as, uh, repeat that last sentence there now, Scott. A chance to work on... On uh, Star Wars toys, ah. which is another big love of mine. That was with Jack, specific. Mm. I worked on their Big Figs line for Episode 7 in Rogue One. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I remember I did an interview with Daniel Pickett of Action Figure Insider the day I left, and I was really emotional. Like, it was really hard for me to leave, but, you know, I was I had to be an adult, you know, <laughs> about this and be like, look, I have a family. Mm-hmm. I have to think about that. I can't just, you know, I was really, looking back, I was kind of working for samples, for a long time you know I was like I got free samples of classics mm. but that's like I can't do that for a living no you, know? you can't just buy that so I, I I did that for a little bit doesn't work <laughs> yeah it only works for so long yeah uh, but I absolutely I mean I cherish the time the friendships the people I got to work with the amazing opportunities that Mattel gave me yeah I'm I wouldn't have traded it at all mm-hmm. I mean, it was unbelievable roller coaster ride it just kind of got to the point that it it was time to move on and as far as a, um, a toy that I wish we could have made for classics, there's definitely one, which was going to be the 2016 Comic-Con item, which was going to be Prince Keldor and Prince Randor. Oh, that were shown- very nice. And the reason yeah. I really wanted to do them and why I deliberately put them in the mini comics like that with the design, I mean, a lot of work went into the colors and the design of the armor was it was basically the Obi-Wan Anakin Clone Wars. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, the kind of prequel uh, story. Right. It, it was Randor and Keldor mm. as brothers in arms fighting against Marzo in yeah. the Great Wars. And it was like, it wasn't Keldor like evil Keldor, like the figure we did. This was heroic Keldor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good dude. And, yeah, and purposely putting him in, I think, like yellow and green armor because that was like the opposite color to purple. Yeah. And... You know, all, a lot of thought went into that stuff, mm. and I really wanted those that figure set. And it was, you know, they made a lot of what went into the 2016 line, but they didn't make that Comic Con item. Oh. And I was so bummed because I really wanted that. Oh, that's And they had nice. no Comic Con item that year, and I was like, oh man, really? You had to cut this? Oh, bummer. Uh, that's that 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 would be that would have been nice. Were they sculpted at all? Were they? How, how far did they get down the stage at all with those? As far as I know, nothing but an image on paper. Oh. Uh, you know, I think the new team that took over basically cut things pretty quickly down to the bare bones and to the minimally tooled figures. Yeah. But, yeah, I really wanted that. Um, it, you know, it was going to do the Randor armor from 2000X with that oh, big Galactic. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. That's um, my favorite right. Randor, too. I love that one. Yeah, you know, flowing capes yeah. back to back with yeah. swords. It just, to me, it would have been a really, it would have been a great way to kind of end. That was also supposed to end classics. Mm. That was what part of the transition and it was a perfect piece to do that because it was kind of echoing King Grayskull um, you know like a prequel kind of thing and yeah that never happened but hey Mattel make it happen yeah Mattel make it well we'll see now well they got uh, they're kind of slightly going back to the classics kind of format a little bit with because they pre- presented there recently didn't they with their Masterverse stuff so that's all. That's all going to be very interesting to see what happens there and what what unfolds and things. Like that's. So, I mean, I'm I'm really excited for the new Netflix show, as as well. Scott, what do you say? What do you think about the the the, the Revelation, Master Universe Revelation? Yeah, I mean, I'm all ears. I mean, 
you know, honestly, at the end of the day, and this is actually a perfect way to conclude things, is for He-Man to work, for Masters of the Universe to work, it has to work for kids. If it's collector only, it's got to be online through a subscription model like we did, or, mm-hmm. you know, Super 7 selling the comic book stores and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. If, if He-Man is going to become part of, you know, uh, you know, popular culture again and big, the entertainment has to work, the toys have to work, but 80% of the sales have to be to children. And nice. I, I love what they're doing. I just kind of sort of hope it works as a fan, as as a brand man, ex-brand manager, all of that. I mm. want it to work. I want He-Man to be big. Um, it just has to work for kids. It mm. can't work on collectors alone. There's just not enough of us to support it. So, which is, you know, understandable. Well, it's 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 very interesting, isn't it, that Mattel are actually doing two shows, isn't it? One for us, and then one a whole new reinvention again. And it is a reinvention because this hits stories. It's a wandering boy who doesn't know he's a prince and stuff like that kind of a thing. So, it's just going to be very interesting to see. What happens? I mean, I I saw a painting the other the other last week by De, Loopy Dave Dave Raposa, and it was an, an amazing illustration of like you know kind of related sword and sorcery type characters, and 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 He Man has is firmly and squarely in there with Conan, Thor, John Carter, and all these great Tarzan, all these great characters, and I I like that He Man has kind of earned his slot now because he is. Oddly enough, still, in my opinion, still quite in the zeitgeist. I mean, my God, you've had mad advertising campaign for um, online insurance over here in the UK, which is a very expensive advert using He-Man and Skeletor and things like that. So it's the same company that did the Ninja Turtles one as well. Everyone's going nuts for it. It's absolutely brilliant. So you have to see it. Um, but I mean, like, like you said, though, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I think there needs to be two versions of the He-Man. Like, like Batman. You know, DC are very good at marketing Batman. They always have a Batman for every kind of age group, essentially. Uh, whereas yeah, he, yeah. he, he man doesn't he man doesn't necessarily enjoy that. But maybe that may happen depending on the success of the Revelation and of course their other series, He Man and the Masters of the Universe. But well, let's 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 figure out see how things go, and maybe maybe Scott will will get you back on again and uh, to see how things are. Maybe maybe next year or something we'll get you back on to talk about Masters of the Universe and see where the what the state of the brand is. Then maybe we'll have a movie by then. Who knows? Ah, just where, where did you have any involvement? Because you you released the master, art of Master Universe art book and had a little bit of movie stuff on the back there, which is quite bizarre because you had a shaved head He Man and stuff like that. What was a, what 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 was? Did you have any involvement in any movie production stuff at all while you were there? Um, yes and no. I mean, they were always working on you know concept art for the movie, and they had actually a room that was you know designed to be a brainstorm room for the movie when different directors would come in. Mm-hmm. I wound up becoming really good friends with Jeff Wadlow, who was yeah, they, tentatively the director for a while. He was, and yeah. I actually yeah, went to his house and like read the script and gave him comments, and Mattel had no idea I did that, um, because that was because we were friends, mm-hmm. and that was so. Yeah. Uh, um, and I mean, he's a great, he's a really, really awesome guy, and he's a huge He-Man fan. The, yeah, the yeah. brand was great in his hands. Mm. Would you At want- the end of the day, it's just the problem with the movie is it's too expensive um, to make a He-Man movie and not do like a Dolph Lundgren running through a high school uh, gym is that it's going to cost $200 million to make the movie with the special effects because it's got to be on Eternia. Yeah. And the other problem is it's going to cost another $200 million to promote the movie mm-hmm. because the zeitgeist isn't as strong as it used to be, even mm. if there's a Netflix show. Yeah. So you're looking at a <sighs> serious you know, investment there, basically half a, half a billion half a billion dollars exactly like 500 million dollars no matter what and that's a huge investment for a first movie yeah yeah and that's you know with 
Transformers and G.I. Joe, it took place on Earth. There's a lot of cost savings there. Mm. This is more like Avatar. Yeah, yeah, it is, it's yeah. It's going to be from a finance standpoint. That's, I think, what really has held it up is how much it's going to cost to do it right. And nobody wants to do it cheap no. or you know, wrong. Yeah. So and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk now, too, about the, uh, the live-action movie being done for Netflix. It sounds like Sony got cold feet about the property. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see maybe if these cartoon, uh, the cartoon series and the movie, cartoon movie, uh, do well. Maybe Netflix will spend the money to to do a, a live action movie uh, for Netflix. Who knows? Anything but I think happen. that I think that's Only where it's headed. Yeah. Well, there you go, guys. We 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 better we better shut up shop now, Scott. It's been absolutely lovely having you on. I mean, I on second, I could talk like stuff like this for, for ages and, and I might just give you a buzz again in about six months time just get you randomly on just to discuss Massiveness in general because honestly I could just talk about this stuff all day I'm, I'm genuinely interested in just the bits just just the, up, the, the, the uphill battles that you kind of had and the kind of the, the, so some of the, the, the things just, just and just, just little stories but and I just like geeking out about the, the toy process and, and stuff like that in general so I, I might actually I might actually get you on again in, in, in a few months online if you are willing of course sir Oh, I, same thing. I love talking. I mean, it's not like I, you know, talk to my wife and daughter about this. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> no, I bore, I bore my missus something to death as well. Well, yeah. there you go, listeners. Scott Knightley, Toy Guru. Oh, please, listeners, go on to um, uh, follow uh, Scott on his YouTube channel, which is uh, Spectre Creative on YouTube. Yep. And we'll talk. he's talking about the video and, of course, the end of 2002 and all that as well. And uh, people can find you on uh, Twitter or anywhere or Instagram or anything like that, Scott, when you post pictures and stuff. Yeah, on Spectra Creative, Instagram, Twitter, online. Yep, just good. Spe- I, I, I'm not as good with Twitter and Face and YouTube or and uh, Instagram as I am on YouTube, but mm-hmm. I do have Twitter and YouTube accounts as Spectra Creative. Excellent, excellent. Okay, cool, wicked. Well, folks, and you can always email me, Amen at Amen Oh, Jesus. Eamon at eamonart.com. There you go. <laughs> don't, don't do that. And you can find me on Twitter, Eamon underscore. Find me on Facebook as well. In, Instagram is that Eamon. I'm always posting new figures and stuff like that. You can check my other podcast called The Hot Toy Cast. That'll be going up as well later on this week as well, where I talk about my Crawford and Jeff Parker about high-end action figures and stuff like that. And I review my Mondo, uh, Master Universe Mondo, uh, Man at Harms action figure on The Hot Toy Cast as well. And we'll hopefully be talking about it with that in closer details about with the actual designer of that Mondo, Master Universe Man at Harms action figure, Emiliano Santos. Lucia on our next podcast hopefully Milan will share some of his little uh, design insights into that as well as well as Merman and Hordak as well Johnny Atkins who loves Rush <laughs> I'm never going to let that go you realize that's it now I'm actually more of a Depeche Mode fan I have oh to. wrong <laughs> okay <laughs> on the dirty sticky floor oh no that's Paul Gann's solo album actually uh, John Atkins thank you so much for joining me as well from all the way from Canada uh, uh, Scott Knightley joining me from Kentucky in America thank you very much guys thank you very much uh, join us on the next Battlecast folks hope to see you soon sooner rather than later depending on my work